0: Larry, I'm getting just a little bit of feedback, a little bit of feedback. If we could uh, do something to help that, that would be great. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. And what we're going to see today, let me give you some explanation. It's going to look very similar to what we saw last time. We covered the first half of Romans 6. Last Sunday, on the, first 15, or the verse 14 verses, and we'll be in verses 15 through 23 today, and we're going to walk through that, explain that, even give you an outline that it, um, helps us to understand 15 through 23. I'm going to do that rather quickly, and what I'm going to do is uh, spend quite a bit of time really getting practical with this message And so in Romans chapter 6, we see a repeat in the second half of what we find in the first half, and I have found that repetition can be very, very helpful for helping us to learn a good lesson. I, at an early age, was introduced to that lesson of repetition on a drive to winter camp when I was probably going into the ninth grade, or in the ninth grade, I should say, during the wintertime. I uh, went to a Christian camp, and I can remember my pastor's his name was John Davis, he drove us up to winter camp, there was a group of us and just guys up there, and I sat this morning and I tried to remember how many details, how many memories I have from that trip to camp, and I have five. There are five things that I can remember from that, I think it was a two night and three day time, away from my home at camp. One of them is a vivid memory, and one of those memories that's vivid I'm going to share with you. Because my pastor previously had been a youth pastor for several years, he had learned that a camping experience can be ruined by young people if they have a crummy attitude. And so there was something that he repeated several times on the way there, and then when he was dropping us off. And for me, it sunk in. I'm not sure if I remembered it much that week. But what he kept saying was this. Hey, guys, whenever you get up there, whatever you're doing, remember, your attitude is your choice. And then a while longer on the trip, the drive up, he was driving the van, he'd say, your attitude is your choice. And then before we got out of the van, he'd say, hey, guys, I want you to remember something. Your attitude is your choice. How amazing that he, so many years ago, would do that. And of course, he had experience with teens and teen boys in particular that possibly had a crummy attitude. Now, is that true? Shake your heads. Is that true that your attitude is your choice? True or false? Yes, it is. But we know that some inexperienced young people might want to blame something else. I have found that every one of us, without exception, has a blame thrower, if I can use that expression. We like to blame someone else or something else, and so he was letting us know right off the bat, no matter what's going on around you or who is around you, your attitude is your choice. As we look at God's word today, I'm going to repeat something, and I'll tell you that phrase in just a little bit, and I'm going to ask you to repeat that phrase. And it might be that down the road you'll say there was a sermon preached years ago and I can only remember one thing from that sermon. I'm going to try to drill a line into you that I think will help you when it comes to this area of fighting sin. I've entitled this sermon, Freedom from Sin, Fact or Fiction. We understand that we can apply the same principle about choice to the, to the sin that sometimes we give into. There are some people that will say the temptation was so strong I had no choice. There are some people that will say well that's just just who I am. Well that's just how I'm built. I'm built that way so get used to it. And that can be a problem. So I want to let you know right off the bat that when we sin it is a choice that we are making. We find that established in verses 15 through 23 of Romans 6. Now, As I studied through this, I was trying to think, who is this sermon going to be helpful for? And I know you guys are coming out, and hopefully everybody gets something out of a sermon. We try to make it very applicable. But with all the practical applications we're going to look at today, I think there's going to be something that everybody can benefit from, from our time in God's Word today. Specifically, some individuals, and this is a little bit hard to say... Some individuals that are experiencing pain in their life may be problems in their marriage. Perhaps they're having some problems with family, maybe raising kids or with kids that are away and there's problems that are going on there. Individuals that are not serving God with the gift that He's given them because of one reason or another, these are all people that I think will benefit from our time in God's Word today. I'm not saying if you have marriage problems that it's only your fault. I'm not saying that if you're having problems with your family, that it's just you. We all know that when you get different sinners involved, there's all kinds of different problems that are coming into that situation. But having said that, I have found that some people have a problem of sin and they will not get victory over that sin. They will maybe excuse themselves, or they will keep going through the same kind of pain because they have not fixed that problem. The other kind of person this might apply to, and of course nobody's going to point at yourself here, but you might think of somebody, is the individual that says, that's just how I'm built. If something, an action, or a lack of action is, is sin, as defined by God's Word, there are some people that have just said, you know what, that's just how that person is. That's just how they are, so you've got to accept that. Well, I want to suggest to us, by the testimony and teaching of the Apostle Paul, that if it is sin, that the battle, has, the, the work of victory has already been done at the cross, and we can have victory in that battle. So what we're going to see in God's Word today is that sin cannot change your relationship with God. But sin can affect your fellowship with God. And so that's why it's so important for us to get a handle on this. And also, as I've already alluded to, we're going to see that when the believer sins, it is their choice to do so. And some of you don't like to hear that, I know. So when that sin comes, you have to point the finger at yourself. I know you can't control what others do, but you can control what you do. And we're going to give some helps to, to um, help us with obedience to God instead of sinning. Okay, are you ready to participate with me? Are you ready to walk away with a line that I'm hoping you all will memorize? Here it is. I'll break it into three different parts. You repeat after me. All right, here we go. I'll break it into three parts. So as soon as I'm done with the first part, you chime in. Here we go. When I am tempted. I am tempted. All right, I'm going to start over. Just gave, I, mean, I know you're tired. Some of you. All right, we're good. we'll start again. Here we go. When I am tempted, I, am tempted I have a choice. I have a choice. Therefore, I therefore, I will choose Christ. All right, I'm going to say the whole thing and see if you can remember it. When I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore, I will choose Christ. Now you. When I I have a choice. Therefore, It is my hope that when you are facing some sin that has seemed to get victory over you, before you head towards that sin, or before you head towards, sometimes it's a place you're going to go to, or a time of day, or a group of people, and you know, I give in to sin at this time. You can take that line, when I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore, I will choose Christ. So go ahead and look in Romans chapter 6 here. And as I said, we find basically a big repeat. We started last week with verse number 1 was asked a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid is what the King James says or by no means in the ESV. Our first verse in, uh, in, in our text today, verse 15, ask a question. And it sounds very similar. Look at it. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. We find a good summary of all of the first 13 verses of Romans 6 in verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we're going to get to some practical applications about how you can get victory over sin, when you're in the battle, but we have to go ahead and say what the text says first. The text says that sin has lost at the cross. Sin cannot have dominion over you. You used to have to serve sin, but now you don't have to. Now you can serve Jesus Christ, which brings life. And that verse 14 isn't a bad summary of our text today. But as we'll see today, we're going to add in the word slavery, the word slavery, which always when we hear that is a very negative connotation. But as we'll see, every one of us is going to be a slave to something before we had no choice. And today you have a choice. And so verse, verse 14 of chapter 6 is not a command, it's a promise. So we don't find the practical stuff, what to do in chapter 6 here, but instead we find a promise of who we are. Now let me go ahead and read through our text, and I'm going to give you some points if you're taking notes for how you can break this down, and then we're going to jump right into the application. Um, Let me go ahead and give you the first point. The first point, number one, is the confusion. The confusion. And we find that in the verse that we just read, the first half of verse 15. Here's the confusion. What then, Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? That is the confusion there. Similar to the question that is asked in verse number one. And what we need to understand is, is that no follower of Jesus Christ, as they are growing in their relationship, is going to come to a situation where they they can choose sin, and they're going to ask that question. So what I'm saying there is no mature believer is going to be walking up to a time of temptation and kind of say, I'm pretty sure that I've got to get get out of jail free card in my pocket. Let's go ahead and jump into this sin. What, What I've learned about God is that he's forgiving. So let me go ahead and continue with this sin. Nobody who is growing in their walk and has reached a level of maturity after a while is going to say, can I keep on sinning? That's the confusion. Number two, we find the correction. The correction starts with those last three words in 15 and goes through 18. So shall we continue in sin? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So there is the correction. And there's where we find him bringing that idea of slavery in. Before salvation, an individual was a slave to sin. They had no choice. After salvation, we are slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus Christ, but God does not make us robots where we automatically obey. Does that make anybody else sad when I say that? Has anybody here just wished that you did not struggle with sin? That you were a robot and would not um, have that problem? I know I've wished that. I'll ask myself the question, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? Why did he give me a choice? It kind of reminds us of going back to the Garden of Eden and God put a tree in that garden. And he said, don't eat from this tree. Has anybody here ever thought, why did God put that tree there? God wanted Adam and Eve to choose him, to love him because of who he is. And God wants you, even though that temptation is still there, we still have the presence of sin all around us. And we are tempted, just as Christ was. God wants us to choose to follow him. But we're only going to have one master. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So if you are born again, Jesus is your master. You are not wedged in between, between the devil and the devil and Jesus. Next we find the challenge, the challenge in verses 19 through 22, where it says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness The fruit you get leads to sanctification and in and its end, eternal life. So in this challenge, we find the contrast. He says, this is what you used to have to do. You don't have to do that anymore. He talks about the destructive part of what we used to do. And what we need to do is what I mentioned last week. We need to go back and look at the cross. So when you're thinking about sinning, when you're thinking about uh, giving in to temptation, be reminded of what Christ did on the cross. Be reminded that when the God the Father looks at you, he does not see you as worthy of getting into heaven by anything that you've done. It was the horrible price that Christ had to pay. That's what Jesus did for you. The picture I had come to mind this past week was, it's a familiar picture of me sitting next to Jesus before God the Father with His arm around me. And I pictured this past week when I choose to sin, looking down and seeing the holes in His hands. And imagine Him grimacing a little bit when I sin because it's for those sins that He died. So to go back to what the gospel was. And then in verse 23, we find the conclusion, a familiar verse that's in the, uh, the Romans road. For the wages of sin is death, but the, gift of, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we find the conclusion here. Now, I told you this is going to be very practical. So that for the rest of our time, I'm hoping that something jumps out to you that you can use for yourself or maybe you can give counsel to somebody else. I'm going to be reading verses from a different passage. Romans chapter 6 is not the practical. We will get into the practical. Anybody know where the practical starts in Romans? Do you remember? I mentioned it before, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I present myself as a living sacrifice. And by the way, When we get to chapter 12 and 13, there's going to be so many applications, we're going to just have to slow down and walk through all those very carefully. But in Romans 6, we don't find that as practical. We don't find um, the specifics of what we should do. And so, this is why you need to have a habit of knowing God's Word. One of the challenges that I have on, uh, at my workstation in my office that when it comes to shepherding God's people is what are we doing to give our people, our sheep here, our folks, a chance to have a good Bible knowledge? You must. There is nothing that can replace your own personal study in God's Word. And what you will find when you study, especially a lot of these New Testament books, uh, especially in Paul's writings, you're going to find that he starts out with doctrine and he ends with duty. It's a good way to remember. He starts out with what we should do, or or, or what we are, what we are, and then he ends with what we should do. I'm going to give us some applications from Ephesians chapter 5. When I was walking through this and trying to find some practical applications, my mind went right to Ephesians 5 because it gives this choice. We should not do this, we should do this, we should not do this, we should do this. And from Romans 6, it is good to say the application there is the way for us to have victory over sin is asking the question, who am I presenting myself to? Am I presenting myself to that old slave master, sin, or am I presenting myself to Jesus Christ? Or, for our purposes today, who are you in tune with? Who are you in tune with? I was uh, sitting on my front porch recently, and there's a new sound on my front porch that I love. Just a few weeks ago, I, my wife brought a box in, and I opened it up, and I had a response that everybody in my house remembers. I was very excited because she had bought some wind chimes. And they're not just, we didn't have any wind chimes before, And these aren't just any wind chimes. They're very nice. In fact, she said, hey, would you read the story on the company of these wind chimes? And so I read the story. Vaguely interesting. But what stands out to me is that it says right there, these specific wind chimes have been tuned to the key of C. So all the different noises that they make have all been tuned to the key of C. I'm going to ask you to keep that in mind when we look at these practical applications. How can, you ch- how can you tune your heart to the key of C, which stands for Christ, instead of being tuned to the key of S, which stands for what? Sin, right? What is your heart tuned to? Well, first of all, let me encourage us with this. Tune your heart with godly influences. We find this clearly taught in Ephesians chapter 5 when it talks about what's influencing me. I'm going to read a verse and some of you might be thinking, why is he bringing up that subject? You need to understand what's at the heart of this verse. In Ephesians five eighteen. it says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That is not A scripture where the Apostle Paul said, let me throw in a verse about prohibition here real quick and then drop it. That's not what that verse is about. That verse is about control. When you think of being drunk, a person that is drunk or has had too much to drink does not have their own control over their speech, over their actions, and over their thoughts. It takes over. That is saying, do not be controlled by that, but instead be filled with, be controlled by the Spirit. So, influences. You need to tune your heart to the key of C, which stands for Christ, which means you need to have the right influences in your life. Because the things that are influencing you are going to determine your goals. What goals do you have? I want to suggest to you that what you are surrounding yourself with, what is influencing you, is going to affect your goals. And if I can just remind us that we're all going to be standing before God one day, and we all want to hear the words, if we're a child of God, we want to hear the words, well done, good, and faithful. So what does it mean for him to call you good and faithful? I want to suggest to us it means that we were establishing big goals. Now, remember, the devil does not commonly work by bringing to a follower of Christ this horrible, nasty sin that is so contrary to their life. Instead, the devil would want to have you not hear well done by having you choose something that is not God's best. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I made a choice. There was God's best. And I chose something that was not God's best. It's not necessarily sin. Be on guard about the influences that are around you. Because they will be leading you to have goals that are not going to allow you to stand at the end and hear well done. Instead, you're busy doing all kinds of stuff that is not the best of God. And then the next thing that you can do practically, so when when battling sin, when fighting sin, what you can do is you can tune your heart to rejoice when God is lifted up. Tune your heart to the key of C. Tune your heart to rejoice when God is lifted up. Uh, In your heart, what do you enjoy hearing? Do you enjoy getting the credit for yourself? And we're all built that way. We are all built a little bit to lean that way. Someone starts to say something flattering about us, we lean in a little bit. That's what I was going for. I was hoping you'd say that. Or is it the case that we rejoice when God is lifted up, when God is acknowledged? Listen to verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is telling you that you need to, when you walk through your life, have your heart tuned to the key of C, which means you want to see God lifted up. The reason you are here, is not for your glory or for your credit. It is for God's glory and God's credit. And let me just give you something very practical you can do, and let me give you the opposite of it first. And some of us guys are particularly uh, guilty of practicing this. If you want to see if your heart is tuned to the key of see, Christ, Allow yourself to observe what you rejoice in when conversations go on around you. And by that I mean this. There are many people who will rejoice, they smile, they get a little, little kick out of it when there's a celebration of past sins. By that I mean this. You get into a group, and maybe a group of unbelievers or immature believers, and they're talking about the what some people call the good old days and what I call the bad old days and they celebrate those parties I've heard Christians cel- talking about man those were the days man we would go and we would party I've heard Christians talk about how they fooled around with the opposite sex before Christ and they brag about it that is an indicator on what, you re- what lifts your heart is God lifted up in any of that? And yet so many of us, we tune our ear to that. And we get a kick out of that. Do you enjoy it when you're bragging about the bad old days? Or, instead, here's how you lift God up. In the conversation, can you say afterwards, praise the Lord? I was just talking to somebody uh, this past week, and they said something. And we saw a result come that only God could have worked out. And my response was, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just finished this point in my sermon when I said that, by the way. So it was convenient. But that's how we should be. When things happen, what you should, what, when you tune your heart to the key of C, Christ, you should be saying on a, common, on, on a level, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that is what we should be saying instead of celebrating in the bad old days. All right. When I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore, I will choose Christ. Your turn. When I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore. Okay. All right. I'm just picturing you guys heading toward temptation, heading toward a tough spot. And you can quote that little quote. Here's our final application You need to tune your heart to rejoice when you help your neighbor. Tune your heart to rejoice when you help your neighbor. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And really what we see there is just an an example of the Old Testament teaching that what is the most important things that we do? Love God, love others. We need to tune our heart not to self-promotion, but instead tune our heart to lift up others. We should be driven by advancing others. That's what the Word of God teaches. Okay, let me give us just a couple more very practical uh, points here. First of all, the name of the sermon is Freedom from Sin, Fact or Fiction. And I'm not going to have you nod your heads or say anything out loud, but some of you might say, Freedom from Sin, Fact or Fiction. Yeah, I see it in Romans chapter 6. But when I look at my life, it, just doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. Let me tell you why you have victory even when sin is a part of your life. You have victory because you have an advocate. When you do sin, I'm not telling you to make an excuse for it, but when sin does come, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ standing by your side, interceding for you before the Father. And when the Father looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees your advocate and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so what we find here in Romans chapter 6, if there is a repeated sin in your life, what you need to do is remember the foundation, Romans chapter 6, and then apply the principles. And we gave us some principles for that. Let me give you one more illustration, and then we'll sing a closing song. Um, How many of you have trained a dog before? Raise your hand if you've trained a dog. Okay, quite a few of you, all right. When you look at a dog that's been well-trained, it's obvious there was time and effort. Things were intentional. Those dogs have limitations. They have things that they're going to be pretty good about. There are some things that they have to learn, and there are some ways they have to learn them. If you are teaching a dog To have a treat right in front of them, but not to eat that treat until you say go. Has anybody done that before? You've trained a dog to wait. Okay, I see a few hands going up. You've trained that dog and that treat they love. And dogs are all about sleeping and eating, right? Uh, You've trained that dog not to eat that treat. If you look at that dog, if you've trained that dog right, you'll find something in common with every dog. You will never find a dog that's been trained and that's waiting who is glued on that tree. They're looking right down at that tree and they're waiting for you to say go. That is not where the dog's eyes are. Instead, where is the dog looking? He's looking into the eyes of his master. If you struggle with sin... You need to keep your eyes fixed on the master. Tune your heart to lift God up. Tune your heart to lift others up. Tune your heart to have the right influences. You and I, we have freedom from sin's penalty if we're a follower of Christ. There is no more wrath that can be poured out on us. It was all poured out on Christ at the cross. You and I, if we're followers of Christ, will have freedom from sin's presence someday. Anybody looking forward to that day when we no longer are surrounded by the presence of sin? But, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, you do have freedom from sin's power today. Know God's Word and understand that He has given you everything that you need to make the right choice. When I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore, I will choose Christ. Last time. When I am tempted, I have a choice. Therefore, I will choose Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when we look to you, we understand that you have left us here in this world and that there is going to be a struggle. The flesh is still here. And Lord, we would ask that you would allow us to understand that you've given us all that we need to be obedient. We praise you that even though we live in a place where there's temptation and we're surrounded by sin, we praise you that you have given us the opportunity to have victory. Would you keep our eyes fixed on you? Would you allow us to understand that it is a choice and that we can choose our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to give you just a moment to pray while Anna plays through on the piano. If it's, if it's the case that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that means that relationship is established. We get a relationship with God by understanding that our sin is why Christ died on the cross and He died so that we could be forgiven and all we have to do is ask Him for forgiveness and we become his child if you've never done that i would invite you to do so even in the stillness of this moment for others it's very possible that you've had a sin that you've struggled with for months maybe years maybe even decades i want to encourage you by the apostle or by the uh, uh, the authority of god's word you can have victory over that sin it is a choice And God will help you. Understand that you are not fighting for victory, but from victory. And ask God right now, quietly to yourself, confess that sin to Him and say, God, when I am facing this sin, this temptation, I will choose Christ. Take a moment to pray. All we right, there? there we are. In closing, let's stand together. We'll sing Before the Throne of God. Before the Throne of God. Uh, we're going to need different words because that's not Before the Throne of God. There we go. Okay.